I want to show you today why rejecting the good news of Jesus is such an awful thing to do. Um, After a three-week break, we're back uh, in our preaching series on Paul's letter to the Galatians that we've been calling Free From, as we've been looking at all the wonderful things that God has set us free from. And Paul wrote this letter to a church that he had started a few, uh, a little while back, uh, after he'd heard they were being kind of infiltrated uh, by uh, some spurious teaching, people saying to them that to these Christians, now if you really want to be acceptable uh, to God, uh, the technical word is righteous, if you want to be acceptable or righteous to God, uh, this Jesus is a good start, but he is not sufficient. Uh, you need to start doing some of the Jewish practices uh, that God's people have always done over the last few centuries, at least anyway. And you need to get circumcised, you need to start obeying Jewish religious feasts, you need to stop eating pork, all that kind of stuff. Uh, start of chapter 5, which is where we, we, well, we finished a few weeks ago now. There's been a lot happened since. Uh, at the end of chapter 4, chapter 5 is a great place to come back into because uh, Paul gives a summary uh, of his message and talks about what's at stake in this disagreement. So it's good for us to be reminded of this. And um, as the uh, Galatians are reminded, they are warned as well. Uh, and I want to do some warning uh, to you. Uh, today, as well, as well as giving you great hope. See, following Jesus is full of excellent news. It's the best news. Uh, but by implication, rejecting that has some terrible consequences, um, both now and later. And we're going to focus on the now of that. And Paul uses a variety of images to describe this, to help engage with our imaginations for us to understand what's going on. And we're going to focus on just three of them, the knife, the dogs, and the servant. And we're going to start by reading Galatians 5, 1 to 15. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Great words, serious words. Let's pray uh, that God would help us to understand them and be changed by them. Uh, Lord Jesus, we're just so glad that you're here and you're amongst us and that you're good. And we want to ask that you would continue to do good uh, now as I speak. Give me the right things to say and give each of us ears to hear what you're saying to us. 
Lord, I thank you you're going to bring people out of slavery today. I thank you you're going to uh, bring clarity where there's been confusion. You're going to bring hope uh, where there has been despair. Would you do those things, Lord, through your mighty word, I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's start with this knife business. One of the things that the false teachers were saying to the church in Galatia was that the men in the church had to get circumcised, which is an ancient Jewish practice. Now, it's difficult to know how on earth this idea got any traction amongst the men in that church, <laughs> but it seems to have done so. Well, actually, the reason I reckon they were prepared to do something so uncomfortable was because it was being presented to them as a way of making themselves better in God's eyes. If someone says to you, wouldn't you like to know how you can be more acceptable to God? Wouldn't you like to know how you can please God more? When you see articles like five things you can do to make God more happy with you, those kind of things are tempting. He's like, I'd like to know about that. That's clearly the way they came in. I don't imagine they came in saying, you should all get circumcised. Let me explain why. They said, we want you to be more acceptable to God. And the Galatians were like, okay, great, how? And they're like, well... That's, I think, the way it comes. And, and when, when things like that are presented to you, it can be very enticing. And you, you feel this, don't you? When you want to make up for something you've done wrong, or when you're aware of something you, you failed to do that you should have done, that how can I make up for this? How can I feel awful because I've done something wrong? I feel guilty because I haven't done that good thing I should have done. How can I fix this? I know I'll do something that will make me more acceptable to God. I will make it up to him. That's what we do. That's, why we, that's how we think often. But Paul is clear that rather than helping circumcision and other religious behaviours to please God actually make things much worse. He says to them, you lose more than your foreskin if you get circumcised. You lose Christ. You will be cut off from him. You will be severed from him. Let's make sure we understand why that's not the case. A person is acceptable to God if they are, to use Paul's favourite phrase, in Christ. That is how he describes someone who has believed in Jesus. He says they are in Christ. A way in which we can kind of think about this is, um, you're aware of how various ways in which migrants will try and get into this country. One of them is they will hide in lorries. And they will hide in the lorry and sneak in, knowing that they cannot walk into the UK, but the lorry can. Driving, you know. Um, and if they hide themselves in the acceptable lorry, they can come in to this country that they want to be in. In a similar way, Jesus is the only one able to come into the presence of God because he came to us from the presence of God. He is God himself. He is able, he is acceptable, he is righteous, and so he can come into the presence of God. The amazing thing is that he invites us to come into the presence of God by putting us, as it were, hiding us in himself. That's why Paul describes Christians not often as Christians, but in Christ. Two key differences, obviously. God hasn't been fooled by this. It was God's plan all along. And the connection between us and Christ is much more profound than between um, someone fearfully hiding uh, in an indifferent lorry. 
But the, the, that's the principle of salvation. That's the principle of the Christian message. That you put your faith in Christ, he willingly takes you on, takes you in, and brings you into the presence of God who planned the whole thing in the first place. That is how you are saved. What seems to be happening here with the Galatians is that they were saying, well, Jesus, this was a good start. You've got the ball rolling, but I'm going to take it from here. You've shown me something that's interesting, so that's how I get to God. Okay, well, I'm going to try and do that myself. It's like you get out of the lorry. Or in Paul's graphic language, because you were profoundly united to Christ, then you are now severed from Christ. You have chopped yourself off from the only one who can bring you into the presence of God, the only one who can bring you into forgiveness and wholeness and reconciliation and all the good things that God does. Paul says that's what the knife does. And some people live this way even if they don't believe in God. So you might not be a Christian here today, you're like, this is all very strange, there's no way I'm getting circumcised, don't worry about that. Um, let's just be clear, hopefully you'll notice that's not what we're saying. But here's the thing, you do still have a constant sense of not being good enough. You're very aware of what it's like uh, to feel desperate to impress and desperate when you fail. Must try harder runs through people's heads whether they're religious or not. And we are encouraged all the time, aren't we, by the media around us. You must try harder by our work environment, even by friends. So you don't have to be religious, although it can help. Lots of religious people have a similar kind of experience, um, but with them, the standards they're trying to attain are usually found in some holy book or some teaching of some sort. They're aware of the good things they should be doing. They're aware of the bad things they need to avoid. If they do those things, hopefully God will like them. When they don't do those things, they try harder to make it up to God. Their prayers are deals that they make with God. If I do this, please do that. And so we have Islam founded on five pillars that Muslims must do. Jewish scholars looking through the Old Testament and saying, I think there's 613 separate commands that you need to keep. And they seem to work on the principle, as Paul says, of break one, break all. Buddha's last words were, strive unceasingly. But Jesus' last words, when he earned righteousness for any who trust in him, were, it is finished. That is the great difference between Christianity and all other worldviews. Someone has done it for us. He has done it. You can't do it. You don't need to do it. The righteousness, the acceptance that we're all striving for, because ultimately we're looking for acceptance by God, is available to us from Jesus. And Jesus alone. There's no other way to be saved. There's no other way to be rescued. There's no other way to come into the presence of God. And that's why Paul uses this violent language of castration to the people who are saying something different to the Galatians. He's like, I'd rather they just cut the whole thing off. I hate it. He's, he's furious about it. He's violently concerned because these people are his friends and this is the truth and this is the only way to salvation. This isn't like, well, agree to disagree. It's too important. And so Paul says that's what is at risk on the ultimate level when we try to make it up to God ourselves, when we try to impress God ourselves, when we think that our good deeds or our bad deeds affect how God sees us. Paul says if you are thinking that way, you are at risk of cutting yourself off from Christ. He uses a couple more metaphors 
um, explain, he's like the rival teachers, they're like people running in a race with you who kind of bump you and suddenly you're heading off in a different direction. It's like they were doing well and then suddenly you kind of got tripped up and now you're heading that way. Don't do that. Then he talks about leaven, it's kind of like yeast, how it infects a whole lump of dough. And he's making the point here that something serious has happened. It's not like, oh, this is curious that you're taking this new view. Oh, well, I mean, all roads lead to God. It's like, no, if you run that way, if you let that thing infect you, terrible things will happen. Something serious has happened. It needs to be checked. Otherwise, there will be worse and worse consequences. In the immediate, what will happen is that they will become like dogs. People who are trying to make themselves acceptable, whether to God or to culture or themselves, so religious or not, the way they think are in hierarchies. They want to know how well they are doing. They are desperate to be doing well. How can you do that? You compare yourself with those around you. People you know, maybe even people you don't know. It's a very human thing. Many work environments operate on this principle where the hierarchy isn't just functions of team working out together, it's people trying to make themselves feel better about themselves, and so they will do that, usually to the denigration of others. They want to get to the top, they want to that peace that will come when they finally feel, I've made it, there are all these other people in the way, or these other people who, if I put myself above them, I'll feel like I've made it. That's their priority. It is a dog-eat-dog world. We make TV programs about it. We entertain ourselves with this. Paul warns the Galatians that this is infectious and it is murderous. And if you haven't already experienced this kind of thing, it's easy to imagine why. Person A says to person B, I don't really think much of person C, do you? Person B goes, mm -hmm. And then the conversation continues as person A explains all the awful things about person C. Later on in that day, person A is speaking to person D. He says, do you know what? Person B, they don't really stand, they don't seem to have any ideas of their own. Whilst at the same time, person B is speaking to person E. Person A is so horrible. One person attacks and then suddenly five people are wounded. And it goes on and on and on. It might kind of seem funny, it's kind of comic if you're not in the situation. You're like, you're all ridiculous. Paul says ridiculous doesn't even begin to describe it. He uses language that is referring to kind of animals, wild beasts. Says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. He's saying you will become like dogs. That's what this way of thinking does to you because you just see other people around you as competitors. You see them as people getting in the way or the way in which you can feel better about yourself by attacking them. It is a dog-eat-dog -dog world that makes us all a dog's dinner. This is what self-righteousness does. This is what trying to prove yourself does. Because no one does that in isolation. They have to do it in competition with others. Tragically, the church isn't immune from this. Legitimate concerns can be turned into a feeding frenzy if you're thinking this way. Their children are noisy, aren't they? Or... Really, they're still struggling with that issue, aren't they? I haven't seen them at small group for weeks, have you? They're not really serving, are they? Now, you could say any of those four things and be totally legitimate if your heart's full of love.
But if you are trying to make yourself acceptable to God, you are making yourself feel better by comparing yourself negatively to others. You are taking lumps out of other people. You are biting into them. This is what happens when you are trying to prove yourself to God. You have to put yourself at the centre of everything. And so that automatically makes you selfish. And then you use people to feel better about yourself. You can't climb much higher, but you can certainly tear them down. And the relief of that, that moment of relief, when you've been, messing, you've been messed up, oh, I haven't done that right, I haven't done that right, but you know what? I'm not them. Phew. Your conversations and your thoughts about others are full of criticisms and rarely celebrations. If any of this sounds like you, or sounds a bit like you, or there are bits in this that you think, yeah, okay, I definitely can think that way, this is God warning you. God is speaking to you seriously this morning. He's saying there is a huge danger for you. You risk separating yourself from Christ, cutting yourself off from him, and becoming an animal in a hopeless game of survival of the fittest. And so I'm gonna, we're actually going to stop for a moment and, and I want you just to consider your life, consider how you deal with other people, consider how you react to them, uh, to their problems, to their successes. How do you react when you are doing well? How do you react when things are not going well? How do you think about God in those moments? We're going to encourage you to climb, close your eyes. It'll help you focus in on this. And we're just going to take a pause because it's too serious for us to be like, and now the next point. I want you to think, I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you right now. Lord, where is this in my life? Where am I trying to prove myself to you? It doesn't have to be like this. It doesn't have to stay like this. This isn't just what you're like. Jesus has got great, great news for you. The stunning message of Christianity is that God offers to make you acceptable. He offers to make you righteous. If you will put your trust in what his son has done for you. Faith is the gift God gives us to receive all his goodness. If you want the goodness of God, if you want God to accept you, if you want God to consider you righteous, you need to receive from him a gift of faith. See how that's totally different from you need to then do this and then get circumcised and then obey those rules. And God says you need to receive a gift I'm giving you. 
the gift of faith. Not through your good deeds, not with your good deeds, not to get you to do some good deeds that will then impress God. No, no, none of that. Faith alone in Christ alone. That is what makes a person righteous before God. That is what brings them the peace that they need when God says, I accept you because I accept my son. Jesus' life was perfect. God will credit you with a perfect life. Jesus' death was sacrificial. It took, uh, it took punishment for every sin. He will accept that death on your behalf. And Jesus was resurrected into new life, a vindication. God will grant you that same vindication. That's what he offers. And he says, the means by which I'm giving this to you is faith. You trust, you believe, you have confidence that this is what God will do for you. Paul makes a contrast twice that we won't miss it. He says, you are severed from Christ, you who'd be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. For, contrast, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Totally different deal, Paul says. Two different things. You'll be justified by the law. Paul says, I'm living by faith. He then does it again. He says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. This is what God wants. What does God want? He wants faith. And do you know what? It's what he gives to us. What he wants in us, he gives to us. Faith, trust, confidence, certainty in the success of his son's mission to rescue us. Bible says faith comes from hearing. So if we're going to grow in this faith, we're going to uh, develop our confidence, if we're going to avoid the mistakes that the Galatians made, we need to grow in our faith. Galatians 2.16, Paul said earlier, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8-9, for by faith you've been saved, and this is not your own doing, it is the grace of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is amazing news. This is the most wonderful thing you could ever hear. You will forget it. You will. If you're a Christian here, you know, I do forget that. I do think it's down to me sometimes. I do think God's not quite sure about me sometimes. I do think I need to make it up to him sometimes. Galatians 2.16, Ephesians 2.8.9, and how they help us see the whole of Scripture. Say, no, it is by faith you are saved alone. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. You haven't been justified by the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the truth. As we get this in us, our faith is, it is strengthened, it is deepened, it is the way in which we see everything else. The relief when we've sinned. So if you're living the old way, the only way you get relief from your sin is when you do something good or enough time passes that you kind of feel a bit better about it. That's how you get relief from sin if you're trying to earn your salvation. If you have faith in Christ, the way you get relief from your sin is saying, Jesus, you've forgiven me. You paid for the price for it on the cross. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 says. So you could have sinned and then bang, you ask for forgiveness and it's happened. You didn't do anything except access by faith the forgiveness God had already set up for you. It's that amazing, amazing difference. And then when you're blessed, you're not thinking to yourself, well, to be honest, I did earn this. 
I mean, I was the one who went to work and earned the money so we could go on the holiday. I was the one who did this. I, or sometimes you don't know what's happened because you've just been blessed and you don't know what to do with it. Like, I, I still haven't earned this at all. But when you have faith, it's like, God, you've blessed me again. This is ridiculous and amazing. Thank you. It's just so easy to say thank you to him. And it's so easy to say sorry to him when you are living by faith. Because you realise this is God's goodness to you, not something you've earned. We went to a wedding yesterday. A couple of our students got married. And um, it, was, it was a beautiful day. They got married on a beach. Can you imagine the faith involved in that? And they... <laughs> a slightly different kind of faith. Um, but it was, it was just It was just beautiful. And, uh, and the rain stopped just before uh, the bride arrived. Apparently it's because one of the bridesmaids commanded it to stop raining. She was like, God, please let it stop raining. And so it did, which was great. Um, and, uh, but we were just there, a beautiful couple, love each other, love God. He's been gracious to them. The sun was shining, birds were flying, the sea, the, everything. And I just, I just stopped in the moment. I was like, God, you're so good. This is just lovely. Thank you. Thank you that I get to have part of this. See, when you're thinking by faith, that's what you do. Because faith helps you see all things in this way as gifts from God. If you're striving, you don't quite know what to do with this. You're like, maybe I should help put the chairs away afterwards. Maybe that would do it. Then I'll have done something to have maybe earned this nice moment. But faith doesn't do that. Because faith understands God's inclination towards us is to bless and, and to give us goodness, not to require us to earn it. It's, it's a totally, totally different thing. A few years ago, the Prime Minister described his Christian faith as a bit like the reception for Magic FM in the Chilterns. It sort of comes and goes. Now, many of us can sympathise with that. Many of us have experienced that. But to leave it like that is a terrible neglect. He would, he would do better to give the country over to someone else and go and seek God out if he feels his faith is like this. Because it is by faith that we're saved. You need to get to where the reception is strong. If you find when you go into the Chilterns, you're not, the reception's gone. Okay, you need to go back to London. You need to get back to where you can hear loud and clear that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. You need to do that. You can't just, I hope this sorts itself out sometime, but it doesn't seem to be. You need to get into God's word, getting these verses into your mind, memorizing them, having them dwell richly in you so that by them you see everything else. He's part of the community like we are here, where we are celebrating God, where we're rejoicing in Him, enjoying Him. We gather together on a Sunday. We gather in small groups. We read books that are good, that remind us of this. We follow people on social media who will encourage us in the grace of God. Do whatever you can to strengthen this signal. Do whatever it takes to be hearing and letting the truth of God work in your life and it will grow your faith in Christ. We must do that. Faith brings us into freedom. We're free from striving to achieve acceptance. We've instead received it as a gift. This is a total change for those who were previously trying to keep a law, either God's or one of their own devising. 
Most people are. There are standards. I have standards I must live by, and often I don't. And those standards say to me, do this, stop doing that, try to do that better, do it more often. Come on, do it like you really mean it. You're still not good enough. For the Christian, they get to walk away from that voice. They get to walk away from it. It has no power over you anymore when God has set you free. Paul started the passage with the words, for freedom. Christ has set you free. That phrase, for freedom, was uh, used in the ceremony where Roman slaves were set free. So when he says that, the Galatians know, they've heard it before, they've seen someone walk away from their previous master. And Paul's saying, that's what's happened for you and the need to achieve, the need to do everything right. Paul says, you have now, you have been set free from that. You can walk away. It's like the last day of school when you walk away from those teachers and they just can't tell you what to do anymore. It was so weird for me because I kind of did that and then after I went to university I went back to work at my school and I didn't, it was, I was so strange not calling them sir anymore. So I had to learn all their first names. It was very odd. But there's, and, and we're just not used to that change. If you meet teachers or if you are a teacher you'll find this way. You meet them in the street and you still want to call them sir or miss. You think That's, that can't be right. That's not how I relate to you anymore. Because you've been set free. It's like a loan shark being suddenly paid off. And all their threats just disappear. Paul doesn't say Christ may free us. He doesn't say Christ will free us. He doesn't say Christ is freeing us. But Christ has set you free. It has happened. What needs to be done has been done for you. We believe that by faith. It brings us into this freedom. And so what then shall we do? What shall we do now that we are free? Paul says that what is left is to love. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to the flesh. That means the part of us that still kind of rebels against God, wants to live our own way. But through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. Paul started this passage. He said, you have been set free from slavery. He finishes it by actually saying, you are a slave to others now. The word slave in verse 1 and serve in verse 13 are the same. They come from the same roots. It's just that our translators kind of don't like calling us slaves because it's, it's, there's obviously baggage to that. But the, the root is the same. This is what freedom is for. We've been freed from selfish desperation. We're no longer striving and competing with others. We are overwhelmed with gratitude to God for the amazing thing that he has done for us. We are profoundly united with Christ. The impotent nagging of a law has been replaced with the almighty God dwelling in us, the source of all love dwelling in us now. And so, of course, we love others. Now, of course, that, of course, doesn't always feel like an of course, and that's why Paul has to make it clear. Don't indulge yourself do what's best for everyone else. But the huge difference is now, if you are a Christian, you can. You can. Totally, genuinely, fully love one another. Christians have been set free, and so they can love. Our culture, you've been set free, loves that, gets that. It's a little bit surprised that we weren't free, but it the bit it struggles with is the truly loving others. It's funny, I was reflecting on this with the... Um, no, no, forget about that. Um, the truly loving others part 
passes us by because we think freedom's all about self-indulgence. When those who wish for Scotland to be freer than it currently is talk, <laughs> they don't say, so we can bless the world. They say, so we can be better. And that's not how the gospel works. Which is not a comment on independence one way or the other, I'm just saying. The gospel works, I am free. So I become a slave to all. Jesus was the most free person there's ever been. John highlights this in his gospel, John 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that's quite good, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. That is what God does with his freedom. And it's that God who works in you and with you and teaches you how to do that and encourages you as you do that and forgives you when you don't do it and doesn't tell you to buck your ideas up and, you know, do something to get yourself back with him. He just says, no, no, I still love you and I really think it'd be great. Let's work this love out for others as well. We're, wonderf- we're really wonderfully free. Paul connects faith, freedom and love and so they're connected in our thinking as well. As we grow in faith, so our consciousness of the freedom God has brought us sharpens. Wow, I am free. I really am free. This is amazing. And then we don't stop there. I am free. What am I to, what am I to do with this freedom? I can love. I can bless. Sometimes it's just easy and just fun. You're like, this is amazing, Lord, that you free me to this, and I can just love all these people and bless them. This is incredible. Other times it's slightly harder. So we make decisions to love, and we ask God, as Claire's song reminded us earlier, we say, Lord, I must, you must fill me. Uh, you must dominate me, uh, as it were, Lord. You must be working through me. I, I won't be able to work this out by myself. And in this way, people will see the love of God, the life-changing power of God in us. They will understand who God is, which, ironically enough, is part of the point of the Old Testament law all along. Paul says, you don't need to do the law, but as you love, because you've been set free through faith, you happen to fulfill the law as well. The amazing way God does this. We could strive and try so hard and never get near. In fact, make things worse. Or we could accept what God has given us. And out of the overflow of that, find that we obey him better than we ever could have done before. Those are the choices God gives to you. To separate yourself, to slice yourself away from him. And to become just part of this dog-eat-dog world that we, that we do suffer and bear the scars of or to accept, by faith, freedom to love. The choice is yours. I would say one is better than the other. Let's settle in our hearts now the one we're going to make, and then we'll finish.
Jesus, with all things in your hand, having come from God, going back to God, you washed stupid people's feet and then died for your enemies. And we are, num- we number ourselves in that. We are in that. So, Lord, we want to not try to do anything that's contrary to your plan. Lord, we don't want to be foolish about this. We don't want to strive and struggle and try to impress you. We don't want to uh, bring you a bunch of our good deeds and say, Lord, look, uh, would you like me now, please? Instead, we want to receive what you give us. This great gift of faith, this wonderful experience of freedom, this amazing power to love. Lord, I pray where you've highlighted where individuals here have been striving. I thank you you've spoken graciously to them and offered them great hope. Lord, would they take hold of it now? Jesus has done it. Jesus has done it. He has done it. Lord, would that wonderful, glorious truth ring loudly in our minds and our hearts as we uh, go home from here now, as we uh, live throughout this week. I pray for great uh, liberty, liberty to love. This Holy Spirit, we've, we've loved hearing you and experiencing you this morning. I pray you be with us throughout the week, confirming this, strengthening it, us, strengthening it in us that we might love those around us. Please help us with this, Lord. Amen.